0: Um, the world is going to move on with or without us at its pace so you have to stay at least at its pace or ahead of it and then the, the third thing to think about is be willing to disrupt the thing that you already did
1: excellence professionalism innovation and collegiality these are the values the Sam and Walton College of Business explores in education business and the lives of people we meet every day I'm Matt Waller Dean of the Walton College and welcome to the be epic podcast For the next few episodes, I will share conversations with top CEOs about the future of the workplace. The pandemic has transformed the way that we work and we discuss their predictions for the future. I have with me today, John Ferner, president and CEO, Walmart US. John has an extensive background. He has been president and CEO of Walmart US now for three years. He was president and CEO of Sam's Club prior to this for about three years. Um, he also has experience being senior vice president and ch- chief marketing and chief merchand- merchandising officer of Walmart China for two years in Shenzhen. He um, has lots of experience at Sam's Club and Walmart uh, prior to this, and he graduated from the Walton College in 1996. Thank you, John, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having
0: me. And I think when I graduated, it was still just the College of Business at the University of Arkansas. So great to hear the uh, the name in there every time we refer to the college now.
1: Yes, well, you're right. Um, two years after you graduated, um, the largest gift at the time ever given to a public business school was given. And it just changed our Trajectory. We were able to go out and get amazing faculty members. Uh, I'm just thankful I was here before that happened. Uh, <laughs> but we got great faculty and were able to, you know, provide scholarships to keep wonderful students from Arkansas and Arkansas. Um, but uh, but John, um, you know, your career is with Walmart, uh, which is very impressive, and now being the CEO of Walmart US, you know, just to think, you know, over a 25 year period roughly, you all of a sudden are not all of a sudden, I mean three years ago you you were and you've 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 been in lots of different positions. I'd like to know which could you pick out a few positions that you've had or experiences in your career that have most prepared you for this position as president and CEO of Walmart US. Sure, yeah, Matt,
0: there are probably a few we could talk about. Um, I think, you know, most recently, the opportunity that that I had to go to China for three years and and, uh, work in Asia, you've done that as well. It was one of those experiences where you just see and experience so much more than you can when you're in the same Town, state that you've been in for a while, and and in my case, I had been running global sourcing at Sam's Sam's Club for a few years, and so I'd always enjoyed, really loved traveling and experiencing other cultures. I like doing things that are that are different, and and I honestly really like things that are that are hard. And when the experience was was offered to move to China with my family, it was it wasn't no. It was how quickly can we get to yes, and how do we make it work? And we did, and that. The, the changes that that were going on in Asia at that time it was really becoming digital from a paper-based society in many ways all happening right when I was there so I, I got to experience a, and, and be a part of a pace of change that I hadn't seen before which really reset my expectations regarding how fast things can move and I think that made the transition into the leadership roles in Sam's Club when I came back from Asia much much easier for me personally just because of the breadth of the assignment. So what I've always tried to tell people in their career, uh, those expat assignments, in some cases, it may feel like a smaller role because perhaps you have less people or the dollar revenue are smaller, but the breadth of experience you get, you just never get in something as large as Walmart U.S. until you're at the very top. So, you know, what a way to expand your horizons and and go see the
1: world. Well, you know, you you mentioned something that really caught my attention that and I know this about you in many different ways, but you like doing hard things. I do. You know, it, it, and I know I've seen you, you've, you've been that way, not only in your work, but even in some of your hobbies. <laughs> uh, I'm aware of some of the things you've done. Um, but, you know, I think this idea of doing hard things is something students need to hear It is good to do, to take on things that stretch you. It could be a course that's more difficult uh, while you're a student. It could be a leadership position um, that you don't think you can do. Uh, There's just so many things that can, I've even heard students say they were a camp counselor at a camp uh, for a summer, for several summers. And it was a real stretching experience, you know, leading a bunch of young people and, in in hot weather and um being hungry a Mm -hmm. lot and not having very good food or good sleeping conditions those kinds of things
0: yeah i i really matt just look for people that that take on things that they didn't have to and and some in some ways maybe they're hard maybe they came easy to them but you know people that learn another language or study abroad or you know like you just said spin months of your life basically giving back to others they're just signs that that people are curious and they're willing to work through obstacles and they're you know if you put a combination together really working on behalf of others one of the the key principles that we talk about here at Walmart a lot is servant leadership and with teams the size of of all of our teams if you're here for them and you're here to serve then you'll love it if you're not here for them and you're here for yourself I think you'll find it to be very difficult and I, it was it was when i was living in asia in that experience when i had the first time in my career that i had a start date and an end date on a job and so it was an easy way to know and, and, and understand this is not about me this is about doing something in a limited amount of time that's going to make a difference for the long term and and just was a great way to figure out this organization it it needs us to do the things that we can we can do to help it and it will uh, it will always it will always move on ahead.
1: So doing hard things, being other focused, um, being other focused is powerful. There's no question about it. When when you're other focused, you can empathize better with other people, understand how they're feeling, feel it with them even, um, and it helps you gain alignment with people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the most important functions of a leader is gaining the alignment of other people. And especially when you're trying to drive change. And if you're not other focused, I think it's very difficult to drive change. People don't even, you can tell when someone isn't other focused and they're, if they're not other focused, it's hard to trust them. Yeah,
0: it is. And and the, one of the things that, we, we talk about it occasionally, but I've, I heard a while back, is that innovation happens at the speed of trust. And without trust, you can't innovate. You can't really do much other than maintain where things are. And so in a time of change, which this is definitely in retail, a time of change, at least at a, a pace I've never seen before, this kind of change has to be led in many ways from the top down. But if the top down leadership team is not aligned, it, it just won't happen. They're just too much second-guessing and other thing. We we run the organization from the bottom up, and then we have to change it from the side and the top down. But we think of ourselves as, as leaders as part of an inverted pyramid with me at the bottom and the customers on the top, and just below the top are all the frontline associates, and then you work your way back across the organization with, with me and my team on the bottom.
1: You mentioned that you can't, you know, Remember a time where change has occurred so quickly, and that's absolutely true. We see this in medical discoveries. We see it in technological uh, breakthroughs. We see it in even innovations around funding, business processes. There's just so much going on right now in the world. Um, And when you think about taking care of consumers, and of course Walmart's um, mantra save money live better um that there's all kinds of technologies being developed to help companies figure out how to save money more efficiently and um and save time and and so forth but there's also um and I know Walmart's experimenting with all kinds of things like drone delivery and um, I mean, you're not just experimenting, you're doing it. Uh, a friend of mine in Bentonville <laughs> for my birthday uh, ordered something uh, using the drone delivery, and he videoed it and put it on um, uh, LinkedIn. Um, and I thought, wow, this is so crazy that this is really happening today. But I remember, you know, Zipline is another one that's so it's such an interesting technology um, and I know those are sort of on the fringes, but even inside the four walls of a distribution center there's innovations in terms of picking innovation, put away innovation, et cetera et cetera um, what What should people you know so john for for people graduating from whatever university it may be, whatever major it may be, and they want to work for Walmart. How should they be preparing themselves to deal with all of this change? Well, a lot of
0: what you learn in, in school and college is you learn to be a lifelong learner and go back to the points we made earlier about people that find things to do that they didn't have to do. So you have a curriculum, you have to take a certain number of hours to get you know X degree, Y degree, but it's really about learning to be a lifelong learner and, and some of the exciting challenges that come along with that is, is you never stop adapting and growing. Um, the world is going to move on with or without us at its pace. So you have to stay at least at its pace or ahead of it. And then the the third thing to think about is be willing to disrupt the thing that you have already did. So I'll give you a couple examples. If, if you're looking at a super center today, I remember when we were trying to figure out how to make the front end of the super center work back in the 90s. And I was a part of the the program and remember the way that we put the entire system together. And Matt, we've probably changed that 10 times since then. So it worked, but just because it works today doesn't mean that you can't change it and you shouldn't change it. So the the question is, will you be willing to disrupt yourself? And if you don't disrupt yourself, then another competitor, another company, someone's gonna disrupt us. The way capital's managed, uh, the way that investments are made, we're we're in a constant state of disruption, the speed of those keep coming faster and faster. The interesting thing about our industry is for years, retailers had to pick two, two of the three following things, either quality, low prices or high service. And the innovations that you just mentioned, a few of those are actually enabling high quality, low price and high service because of the scale and speed of technology. So some of the paradigms we've operated under for years and years and years almost have to be rethought because of the speed of computation you know i never thought growing up as a kid and wherever i was in fort smith arkansas or russellville that i could i could push a button on a device in my hand and 15 minutes later something would fly over my head and drop it out of the sky but that's happening it's it's not just an experiment
1: so so john you know these changes are occurring and 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 how for you used the example of how the front end of a supercenter operates and how you've pivoted many times over the years that's really an entrepreneurial mindset you know having an entrepreneurial mindset within the fortune 1 company which i believe just in terms of my personal observations of walmart over the years that i think it is one of the strengths of walmart the ability to make big changes relatively quickly um, I mean, it's not easy, and it's it. But if to your point earlier, if you don't do that, someone else will. I remember a long time ago. I think it was before I moved here in '94. I read a book uh, called by Jack Welch called "Create Your Destiny or Someone Else Will." Mm-hmm. And sometimes you may create a piece of the destiny for your company. It doesn't work, so you need to shut it down. And sometimes that's hard. Mm-hmm. Other times you've already created something, but it needs to pivot. And that can be hard, too, because people don't like change. How, how, how as a leader, John, do you get people to understand the need to change?
0: Well, understanding it or at, at least aligning that we need to understand it isn't necessarily the hardest part, but actually gaining the alignment to where it's going to change is, is the hard part. And what happens is people have a view of of the world from the desk they sit behind or the, the role they're in. And what can be distracting or sometimes even causing, causing uh, great changes to stop is someone's looking at some kind of information that may have a negative impact they're responsible for But they're one part of a really long chain so they're a link so you know from like where you sit in the business college you can see the entire thing and see how it operates i can i can somewhat do that here along with my team but some very smart energetic person sees a number that looks like it it may be negative and so it stops the entire thing from going through the organization And, and you can easily get to a point of sub optimization so the important thing is is to do experiment. Um, it's easy now with technology to have beta tests going on. We have, I think our team in e-commerce has done something like 1,200 beta tests so far this year. Certainly, we have not rolled out 1,200 things. Um, therefore, a lot of them didn't work. But the ones that do work, they really change the game because of the scale. And as you, as you decide that you want to try to innovate, you have to be willing to experiment. You have to be willing to fail. But during the experiment phase, you have to make sure you have a really broad set of data. Uh, we were talking um, just before we started about behavioral economics. You know, Having a view of what the positives and the negatives, and when you add them all together, does the data tell you if it's gonna be successful or not? And at that point, it's time to go. But you still have the opportunity with someone in the organization, maybe shaking their head, yes, they've got it, but in their heart, they're thinking this is a bad idea and and can push back on things and slow it down. So we pick a few you now the short answer is we pick a few innovations that look really promising from the experiments and then every month we're back together going through that same list again to get progress updates on not only is it is the change being implemented, but what have we learned along the way? And mm-hmm. the last thing you said is important. And if you if you have one and it doesn't work, the decision to let it go and stop it may be the most important thing. Don't don't push something through and, and just go no matter what because it was your idea.
1: Let- that allows us, I think, right now to tra- transition to strategy a bit. Um, and I was so thrilled when I found out that you hired John List as chief economist of Walmart. I remember, seriously, over the years, <clears throat> when especially when I was a lot uh, earlier in my career, thinking, you know, there's so many companies out there that have people – that know how to use optimization in their companies. It could be applied to all these areas and they don't do it. You know, um, I've seen it in lots of companies, Um, whether it be, um, you know, optimizing routing for trucks or scheduling of associates or pricing, et cetera, et cetera. But I remember early on being involved in some projects at Walmart where you did start applying it. One of the first ones I was involved in was with backhaul and I was happy that you all were doing that. And you've been doing that for a long time, but I feel like from a strategic position, what you've done is taking that to the next level. Uh, You mentioned earlier, you want to make sure you have a big enough data set Um, and uh, the for those of you listening that may not know, Walmart hired John List, who is a chair of the department of uh, economics at the University of Chicago and a professor there, and just a brilliant economist. He he wrote a great book uh, called The Voltage Effect. You might enjoy um, if you're listening. But but at any rate, um, you know the first chapter. I think it's the first or one of the first chapters of the book talks about false positives. How companies will do a little experiment, so-called experiment, and then they roll it out to the whole company and it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because either they didn't, you know, they got a false positive. They didn't set up the experiment right. And one thing that John List is an expert at is what are called field experiments where you actually make manipulations and you, you test them out and then you implement what works and so in some ways hiring him is a natural extension of walmart's culture because walmart does have a test type of a culture but it's making it more scientific Mm -hmm.
0: more scientific and and more customer facing um it's easy to assume that you know what customers or or your own associates want based on experience and intuition but the data can can tell you something else um and, and what i what i mean by that is we we say the customer is number one which we believe <clears throat> but you actually don't know how customers respond to things until you put things in front of them and that would include doing what we already did um, in isolation versus the test and so um, this false positive thing is, is really interesting because you typically do see results in a, an experiment or test are more positive than when they hit the operating environment. I think it's called the Hawthorne effect in engineering where it just doesn't perform in the field the way it was it did in the lab. And a second a second um, point in this I think is really interesting is you have to do the, the experiment. So you have to put things in front of real customers in number You've got to be able to watch them for some time, see if you want to try this. But then, Matt, if you have more than one thing going on at once, there's a layering effect that can become a problem. And and what happens is if you have two different experiments that both look positive, then you put them both together in front of the same customer group. That actually is going to yield a, a actually a third result. So you had the results of the first and the second, but when you put them together, you can have something. Something completely different, and sometimes two positives can become a negative, sometimes neutral, and other times they accelerate each other, Um, and so we're pretty careful about making sure we run experiments, and then everything that we run as an experiment we think we want to do, we put in one of two markets where all of our technologies and innovations are to see that there is is the same sort of effect when it's layered on top of other types of change, and I've, I've seen teams before that try things in isolation in different parts, in different geographies or different parts of system architecture. And then when it all gets together, it doesn't work. And then it's really hard to understand what 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 about it doesn't work. Um, I remember a, a, there was a project here about 10 years ago and it, it resulted in lots of layout changes and, and fixtures moving around and the whole thing didn't work, but there were so many things that happened at the same time. The team had a really hard time peeling it back apart to figure out what it was. And, and so then the, the consequence of that is everything that, that happened that time was considered to be a bad thing, but certainly they weren't all bad. They were just bad when you put them all together. So it's, it's, a, it's important to have a discipline of, as you get to implement, the phase of implementation, one thing at a time, see how they layer, make sure you have enough data, and make sure you don't have a un- negative unintended consequence because of the number of implementations that are happening at the same time.
1: I think there's a lot of CEOs that don't understand those concepts. Um, I'm, I'm, it's wonderful that you do. I and and John, you have a lot of experience in merchandising. I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. You know, prior to omnichannel, you you take a category, right? You, you've got a, a department, and you 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 can divide up the merchandise into different categories. And then within a category you can have all different kinds of an assortment. Um and then you've got to optimize your space allocation. You've got to take into account both what the consumer sees, the shopper sees, but also holding capacity on the shelf for some items, especially items that sell really fast. Maybe like say, I don't know, uh say uh, uh, refrigerated cinnamon rolls on Saturday morning. They Mm -hmm. could fly off the shelf really fast. And if you don't have enough of them out there, regardless of how many facings you want, you know, you could stock out before noon. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of variables. Mm -hmm. But then when you add on top of that now, this um, effect of omni-channel where people are ordering for pickup, Mm -hmm. and, for delivery and in-home, all those create even more complexities around what should be in the store, what should be on the shelf, how much capacity you should have, how the business processes work in the store. This is a complicated puzzle.
0: It it is. And you can't see me, but I'm smiling because I I love challenges like this one. and and the reason it's so interesting is is Omnichannel gives our merchandise team the best view they've ever had regarding customer demand and customer intent. and And what I mean by that is when I was a merchant and I, my first job out of college was merchandising in dry grocery, I knew what I sold yesterday and I roughly knew what I sold by hour. And I would use that along with market data to try to triangulate the best set of curated category management processes I could to get to an assortment that would go on a shelf. And then once that happened, then you would start looking at what happened again yesterday and trying to incrementally improve upon it. With the search bar, we now know what people were looking for. And then when they click the PDP, the product display page, you know that there was intent at least at some level to buy it beyond just putting something in search, and, and and you know, that tells you something as well. So if somebody searches a term and they don't click a PDP, it tells you roughly that the search bar wasn't, search wasn't returning the right result. But once you know intent and you can quantify intent, it is really changing the way people are thinking about all those problems you just said. And one of our principles that we talk about a lot is don't ship your customer your org chart. And yeah, of course, we use organizational structure to reinforce strategy the reason, that's the reason we have a chief economist and a chief revenue officer, you know, the positions that we wouldn't have had here even just a couple of years ago. Those are important because they they support and strengthen our ability to execute the strategy. But then when you get a level below that, it's it's understanding that this complexity that we have should never make its way in front of a customer or or an associate and of course it does at times and when we figure that out then it's our job to try to, to pull it back but ev- even our associates they're consumers of the products we build so the device that we've issued them they've got a handheld device that runs on android and it it has an app called me at walmart and we we have something like 15 million questions asked into it every week that tell us what what's on people's mind what they're worried about what they're trying to fix and what they need but the, the data that goes into that is it's important because they are consumers of our products as well. The, not just the physical products the customers are, but they are consumers of the virtual products. So we have an, an always listening, we're, we're always on in terms of listening to the data, to the questions, what people are saying, because we want this these products to be so intuitive that when people walk in, they can jump on, log in, and go without without much training. So it's just so, you know a couple of things there is just make sure that the structure reflects the strategy of course you have to have the right people in those but we don't want to ship our complexity all the way to the customer so you have to make it complex to be able to serve customers the way they want to be served with flexibility but it's got to feel like one brand from the time they open the app all the way until the delivery happens
1: you know there's there's been articles out there data showing that Walmart has had a huge impact on the efficiency of our economy um, in the sense that, you know, Walmart tries very hard to keep prices down, costs down, um, so that prices can be down. And they've done that in a lot of ways over the years, um, probably the biggest in logistics and supply chain management um, and in and operations and, and, and other things, but, you know, um, and I think that, um, you know, in the future, it, it makes it. It gives you a competitive advantage to be able to keep costs down. It did in the past, and will in the future. People a lot of times lose sight of that, but in the in the real world, and we're seeing it now, in particular with inflation, cost matters. Here it is. And um, you know, but sometimes you you hear people talking like it isn't as big of a deal, but it's it when when people are living month to month. Costs matter to them a lot. And Walmart's done everything they can, but they've also, um, I know Walmart's also um, promoted efficient business processes upstream um, that cause suppliers to want to become more efficient as well. Um, What are some big opportunities you see um, on the horizon for efficiencies? And everything from store processes to logistics and supply chain. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, some of the, the biggest are, are using technology to accurately know what you own and where it is. And that would include things like blockchain upstream at the top of the supply chain. And, but then as inventory enters into the distribution centers, you know, so much of the process is becoming... Automated that if if the case isn't right or the labeling isn't right then that you you start with the first we call them defects That would be the first level of of a defect is when you don't know what's coming into one of the centers and ultimately we have uh, We have the opportunity to be able to deliver palletized inventory to all of our associates That's by aisle inside the store and same in the fulfillment centers um, using a lot of great technology, but if the UPC code or the, the label on the outside of the box is torn or not legible or the, the core gets bad, then you've already started the problem. And then that pro- those problems then compound themselves through the chain all the way until they get to the very end of the supply chain. And for us, the way our chief operating officer works is is his responsibility starts from the time we pick up a container in another country, some port of or- origin somewhere else, all the way to in-home and, and the, the last mile, the last foot to the refrigerator. And, and we we structured it that way on you know intentionally so that the person who starts at the end is the receiver of the process all the way end to end. And so working defects out early in the chain helped because they multiply on the way through, all the way to the 5,000 locations and the teams that then consume what what came through. And probably then the the second um, in terms of just efficiency is is giving people the digital tools in their hand with them so that they don't spend all their time running around these giant buildings. We have buildings as large as three million square feet and we have some convenience stores that are, you know, four or five thousand square feet. But but either way, the most inefficient that you can thing you can have your whole workforce doing is, is walking around all day trying to get something to to finish a task. So the idea with the devices and and the technology is so that when you come in, you clock in on your device, you get started, and then your workflow is all right in front of you. So we, we've made some progress, got a lot more to do. Um, every week we we go back through what people are saying, what they don't like, what didn't work, what where we had problems with latency on apps. Uh, but but the, uh, the idea of spending your whole day walking around trying to find what you need to do your job is pretty frustrating. So the more we can move to the device, the better off we all are.
1: John, you mentioned one of the first things was this idea of looking at process from beginning to end and that requires a lot of cross-functional thinking it's not always easy to implement and I remember back in the mid-90s when um, Lee Scott was the EVP of logistics he hired this a guy named Robert Bruce to be I think it was the first VP of supply chain management in the country. But he titled the guy VP of Supply Chain Management. Um, do, do you know who I'm talking about? I remember the name. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I was actually involved in a project with them and Procter & Gamble was involved too at the time. But it was to this point, you know, right, that <clears throat> there's all these things that compound when you go through the process end to end, but they cross so many different functional areas it's hard to really get them to coordinate and to identify problems and then solve them and account for them, really. You know, like this process works maybe really well here, mm-hmm. but the but the big process doesn't work very mm-hmm. well. And, and the metrics don't support the end-to-end process. Mm-hmm. This is another very complicated, like we were talking about earlier with merchandising, um, the complexity of that now. This is also a, a huge uh, challenge, and it sounds like you're really addressing it end-to-end um, end right now through your chief um, operating officer position. Yeah, that's
0: the idea, and, and you said something really important there, Matt. Uh, there's a saying in, in business that I've, I've heard a few times that it's something like, you know, show me the incentives and I'll tell you the behavior. So, stepping back and deciding what you want a customer experience to be like if if the organization if their incentives and their evaluations are tied to operational metrics that are not attached to that final customer experience in any way, then what you said happens all the time, then you have a very efficient running part of the business that then hands off something to the next group. It may be completely wrong, but 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 we think we're really happy with the first step. And a couple of sayings I try to keep my, the team and I would try to keep in mind is if you don't know where you're going, well, then any road will work. So you have to determine where we're going so that we stay on course. Because these long, you know, these long trips um, can really get you in the wrong place by the very end of it. And then it lands on the last person, which is typically the person that's closest to the customer, who's trying to sort out the complexity that's that's come to them through the back door or through some sort of delivery method that, that creates a bit of strain for them.
1: John, you know, living in Northwest Arkansas, I naturally talk to lots of suppliers and have for almost 30 years now. And um, and it's an amazing community we have. Um, but I wanted to just uh, mention a couple of criticisms that I hear of Walmart. And I know that you are good at taking criticism. Otherwise, I wouldn't share it with you. But I'd love to hear your response. Uh, one criticism, well, there's two that I'll mention. One is that The suppliers think they must not know what their strategy is. That's one. And two, sometimes they'll say Walmart's too risk averse. Um, They're not willing to try some of these new things or whatever the case may be. I'd love to hear your uh, reaction to that.
0: Well, the first, let's take strategy first. Um, I think we've been... Or at least have become much more consistent the last year or two, talking about the Walmart flywheel, how it works for customers, and I think depending on the way you're looking at it, it can be really clear or it could be unclear simply because there is a lot to it. And so, you know, taking the time to see how stores and omni-commerce, e-commerce all work together, um, the healthcare business we have is is complex and it takes some time to understand uh, the investments in, in FinTech. Um, also, you know, these are new things that um, people are probably looking at saying, how does this fit in context? But when you think about it this way, think about the life of a Walmart customer who's buying food, they're buying inventory for things like going back to school, seasonal events and holidays. They have to pay on every transaction, therefore the payment makes sense. We already have a healthcare business. And we can do more to help people's health all that generates a lot of data on the platform and then the platform is the reason we can have an advertising business and it is the reason that we can have a membership business and data business so those help suppliers sellers on the marketplace and customers connect in ways that are fast and efficient and then i think the second point is is just for all of us to stay focused on the the mid and the long term we will make choices along the way. But if, our, you know, if we were forced to make a choice between the top line and the bottom line, we'll, we'll pick the top line. If it's, if it's going to be a choice that we have to make, if it's the long term or the short term, we'll, we'll pick the longer term. And so some of the decisions we make at times, you might think, well, that's, a, that's interesting. I'm not sure how they did that. But it's, some of the decisions, of course, are for the long and the midterm, because we have a, a business that we want to have in, in great shape in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And as you know, retailers have a have a tendency to come and go each decade. The top ten move around pretty frequently, and this is a 60-year-old business, and we want to make sure that it's really healthy. And in 40 more years, at 100 years old, um, then the second is, you know, the risk um, is always balanced between what's right for associates, what's right for customers, what's right for shareholders, and go back to the longer-term uh, objective here. You know, so the, the risks and the investments in, in things like supply chain and innovation, um, commerce in general, uh, those are big enablers of where the customer was, was going. So, you know, think about the company all the way back to the beginning. There were discount stores and then there was a food chain. There was a arts and craft chain that, that is no longer in existence. There were some hardware stores. There were changes there. Um, then the the super centers obviously work. There's the neighborhood market format, international e-commerce. Now we're in uh, we're we're running a big retail platform that has stores, e-commerce, fintech, health and wellness, advertising, a data business, and and all tied together with a membership proposition. And, and as you said earlier, all to keep costs low so that we can we can keep changing. So I think if if it feels that way, I would say take a step back and look at where we are today versus a year ago and two and even 3 years ago and then think about the things that are coming and and I'm I'm quite uh, quite positive that we'll take the right amount of, of risk on we won't risk you know things that would would hurt the company or the shareholder but certainly we will take on on the risk we need to to ensure that the business is in, in great shape for the long run
1: John thank you so much for taking time to visit with me this morning about this um, It's really been uh, a great learning experience. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. On behalf of the Sam M. Walton College of Business, I want to thank everyone for spending time with us for another engaging conversation. You can subscribe by going to your favorite podcast service and searching Be Epic, B-E-E-P-I-C.